Well, if you're new here, I want to say welcome. My name is David and I serve as one of the pastors. And so if you're joining us today uh, here at McLean, Fairfax or online, it's good to have you. I want to say thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for allowing me to have some time away uh, with my family. Thank you for praying for us as my family and I all got COVID on our vacation. So that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're truly humbled by all the notes, by all the prayers, by the meals that many of you dropped off uh, for our family. Um, so we're really humbled uh, by your love and care uh, for our family. Many of you have asked how we're doing. We're out of quarantine. We're doing uh, okay. I don't know if it's old age or COVID, but now I just forget things and I need to take naps in the afternoon. And then I order a lot of things on Amazon during quarantine. So I'm helping out the economy. I told somebody today, I feel about 85% and they asked, well, does that mean we're going to get an 85% sermon? Well, by the Spirit's power, no. So let's jump in to Ephesians chapter six. We're in a series within a series as we've been going through the book of Ephesians together. Last week, Pastor Terrence preached on verses 10 through 13, and I'm going to read verses 10 through 20 for context. And then we're going to focus our time today on verse 14, looking at the first two pieces of armor that the Apostle Paul mentioned. So turn your attention with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit so that we can become who we already are in Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Well, as I mentioned, if you're just joining us, we've been studying the book of Ephesians together, written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Asia Minor, uh, modern day Turkey. And if you go back and look at the first few chapters, what we've covered so far, in chapter one, we looked at the glorious riches of the gospel that before the very foundation, before the creation of the world, God chose us and he loved us 
that we are united to Christ, and that as a result of that, the Spirit indwells us, and we are made new and beautiful and wonderful creations. And as a result of this, all of us in Christ have a glorious inheritance. And then in chapter 4, Paul says, in light of who you are in Christ, this is how you are to live. Grace is to change everything in your life, all of your relationships. And then Paul says, but you know what? It's really hard. This is who you are in Christ. This is how you are to live. But it's really hard to do that. And so Ephesians chapter 6 is how we fight as Christians, how we struggle to follow Jesus in every area of our life. Paul says it's hard. And all of us, we struggle to be the people that we long to be, not only because of our own fallen nature, but because of the presence of evil and suffering in the world. And so Paul says, friends, here's the armor of God. Here's your gospel clothes so that you can fight to live as adopted sons and daughters of God so that we can see Christ formed in us daily and so that others will smell the aroma of Christ on us. And this passage reminds us that the spiritual life is a struggle. It's a battle that plays out every day, not only in our minds, but in our relationships, in our homes, in our churches, in our jobs, in our cities, because there's no place that Christ does not claim as his, and there is no place that Satan will not seek to destroy the image and the presence of God in our lives. The gospel, Paul says, it's already ours. Applying it to life, it's hard. So here's how you can do it. So today we're going to focus, focus on verse 14. We're going to walk through it word by word, and we're going to look at the first two pieces of armor that Paul gives us to live the Christian life. So look down at verse 14. Paul writes, stand therefore. Now this is the fourth time that Paul has commanded us to stand. What does it mean to stand? Well, I think most of us understand what Paul means when he says to stand. It just means to urgently resist. And he says, stand therefore. Therefore means on account of. On account of what? On account of evil and suffering and cosmic forces. The Apostle Paul is encouraging believers to put on our gospel clothes. In other words, it's simply a call to discipleship. It's a call to discipleship. You know, that's our mission statement, to make disciples. And we get that from the Great Commission from Matthew 28, where Jesus says, church, go out into the world and to make disciples. Discipleship is an invitation to follow Jesus. It's an invitation to struggle against the sin, not only in our hearts, but also against suffering in the world. It's a call to pray and to work as Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom will come to earth 
as it is in heaven. And Paul knew that this was not going to be easy. Uh, Paul himself knew that the Christian life, it's constant and it's draining. It's constant, that it is a spiritual struggle, is, it's relentless and it's draining because we leak grace. If you go back and read another letter that Paul wrote, the letter to the Romans in Romans 7, 15 through 20, Paul talks about the struggle of following Jesus. In verse 19, he writes, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The Christian life is a process where we fight to become who we already are in Christ. And some of you don't feel like you're very much living as a Christian these days, but let me encourage you with this. Dead people don't struggle. What do I mean by that? You know, Paul writes that you were dead in your trespasses, but you have been made alive in Christ. If you are struggling right now, it may be a sign that you are not dead in your trespasses, but rather you are alive in Christ. So take heart, dead people don't struggle. So if you are struggling against sin and temptation in your life right now, it is a good sign that Christ is at work in you. Standing is the ongoing activity of putting on Christ to fight against sin. So, so that's what we're to do as Christians, but how can we practically do this? And then that's when Paul begins to give us these pieces of armor. So look down again at verse 14. Paul writes, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, Paul is describing what most likely was a leather band. You know, when you would wear robes during this time, it's very hard to run in robes. And so you would have a sash or a leather band that you would tuck your robe into so that you would be prepared for action. It's foundational to the armor of God. And so Paul is teaching us that the truth of the word of God is foundational to the Christian life, to living a life of following Jesus. Paul writes about truth in a number of different places in Ephesians. He writes about it in Ephesians 4.21 and Ephesians 1.13. Listen to what Paul says about it earlier in this letter. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, Jesus. So firstly, this means that we must wrestle with the question, do we believe that this book, this Bible is a divinely inspired word of God? And do we believe that Jesus is the truth of salvation? That it doesn't just contain the words of God, but it is the word of God that Jesus is not just a savior, but Jesus claims to be the savior, the way, the truth, and the life. If you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, we would say, welcome. This is a great place to ask your questions. 
And I would submit to you that before you wrestle with anything else that Jesus teaches, we need to wrestle with who Jesus claimed to be and what he claimed to do on our behalf. We have to wrestle if Jesus is the Son of God who came to die on the cross and to save sinners. You know, a great place to start is to read one of the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. If you're wrestling with these questions, you can see in the worship guide, we offer Christianity Explored that starts up on, in September. It's just eight weeks where we read through the Gospel of Mark and we ask questions and we consider who Jesus is. And so today, if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, I would challenge you to begin to investigate who Jesus is and what he claimed to do. But secondly, as Christians, this means that we must also wrestle with the truthfulness of Jesus and the word. As we read this book, the spirit performs life-saving surgery on us. As this book will cut us, it will heal us because it will apply the medicine of the gospel to our soul. When we read scripture, we can consider the infinite perspective of God to our limited and finite minds regarding any person or any situation. It means as believers, as followers of Jesus, we need to ask what lies have been whispered to me and what has God said about me? Because Satan is the deceiver. He is the father of lies and he will attack us. And so we need to listen to what the truth of scripture has to say about you and about me. And we need to come to this book and we need to ask God, what do you have to say about this situation? God, what do you have to say about the pandemic? What do you have to say about politics or sexuality or wealth or anything else in this world? The word matters because it safeguards us against our own thoughts, our own actions, our preferences that may be wrong or right that need to be brought in conformity to the word of God. I don't know if any of you read it this past week, but Pastor Bill Fullalove wrote an article in the Washington Institute. And this is what he wrote. He says, it is a common sinful human tendency. We tend to read the scriptures in order to prove ourselves right. We need to read the Bible to see where we are wrong. Of course, in the long run, the goal is not to read to be wrong. The goal is to read in such a way that our wrongs are exposed such that we become in the end right. But the right we become is no longer our own preconceived right. Instead, we become conformed into the image of Christ, our blind spots exposed, our sins uncovered, our negligence to both God and others revealed, forgiven and transformed into a new spirit. That's so good. We should hire that guy, Pastor Bill Fullhuff. <laughs> Fastening on the belt of truth means to wrestle 
with the, pers- the person and the perspective of Jesus and his word on my life and on your life. So that's what it means to fasten on the belt of truth. But let's now look at the second piece of armor. Look down again at verse 14. Paul continues, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate was a metal plate. It protected the neck to the abdomen. If you think about it, it protects the most vulnerable and vital organs like our lungs and our heart. And then we need to ask and consider, so, so what is righteousness? So we know what a breastplate is, but what is Paul talking about when he says a breastplate of righteousness? Now, when we use the word righteousness, we've used it in a number of different ways. We'll even use it in a negative way. We might talk about someone and say, well, that person is so righteous. It's negative, it's derogatory. Or some of you may have used it in 80s or 90s surfer slang, right? You know, you look around and say, that's so righteous, right? But what does the word righteous mean in the Bible? Well, commentators, I didn't count it, but commentators will tell us that the word righteousness is used over 500 times in the Old Testament and over 225 times in the New Testament. So if the word righteousness is used over 700 times in the Bible, it might be a clue that it's a big deal. So what does righteousness mean in the Bible? Well, righteousness in the Bible simply means to pass inspection, to be approved, to be found pleasing in the eyes of someone who is significant. And I would submit that all of us in this room, whether we would describe ourselves as a Christian or not as a Christian, we all struggle for righteousness every day to measure up to someone else's standards or even our own. And think about the ways that we try to measure up. We try to measure up through academic achievement, through athletic achievement, through family, vocational, or political success to make us feel acceptable. And some of us even try to measure up through our religious, moral, or ethical success to make us feel acceptable. But friends, the only hope, the only thing that will satisfy our desire to be found with a righteousness is to receive a righteousness that is not our own, not one that we can achieve, but one that has been provided to us, a righteousness through Jesus Christ. Note the verbs here. They refer to a single completed past action. Having fastened, having put on, something has already happened in the life of a believer. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Putting on the breastplate of righteousness means that we are not standing on our own accomplishments. We're not looking to our own achievements, but rather we are receiving Christ's accomplishments on our behalf. Now, a lot of you who are over-churched have probably acted out Ephesians 6 before, right? At some point, you've probably put on the armor of God. You may have even bought the, the, uh, the armor from the Christian bookstore, and that's fine, right? It's possible that Paul was chained to a Roman soldier, that he was using this as an object lesson as he's walking through all of these pieces of the armor of God. But the thing that I was struck with this past week as some commentators pointed out, is that Paul wasn't necessarily looking at a Roman soldier, but Paul, who was the devout Jewish scholar, was instead looking at all the messianic themes in the Old Testament. Paul wasn't primarily looking at a Roman soldier, though he may have been. He was looking at Jesus. You say, where do you get that from? Well, if you go back to a number of different places in the Old Testament, God is pictured as a warrior, as a soldier who fights for his people on their behalf. This is what it says in Exodus 15:3: The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. That's why when we talk about David and Goliath, it's not simply this moralistic teaching of like, hey, all of you have Goliaths in your life. You should be more like David and you can fight against the Goliath in your life. Sure, that's an appropriate application, but the the more important fundamental application of that biblical story is that David is the Christ-like figure who fights and wins the battle for us. And you say, Pastor, I think that's a bit of a stretch. We'll go back and read through the prophet Isaiah. Every one of these pieces of armor in Ephesians 6 is mentioned about the coming Messiah. Listen to these two that we've read about today. In Isaiah 11, 1 and 5, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, right? A descendant of King David and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Listen to this. Righteousness, which in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is translated as truthfulness, shall be the belt of his waist. Did you catch that? Truthfulness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And in Isaiah 59, verses 15 through 17, it says this, truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Listen to this now. This is talking about the Messianic Davidic king. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. This is what Isaiah 59 says about the coming Messiah. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, which we will get to 
in a few weeks. Friends, Paul is talking about the coming Messiah, Jesus. Our life is secure because the armor we wear is already bloody because Jesus, our King, has already bled and won the battle for us. So how do we wear the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness? First, as we spend time with our warrior king, as we spend time with Jesus in the word, our hearts will be strengthened by the spirit because we recognize that the battle has already been won through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Jesus is not watching us fight evil, sin, and temptation and cheering us on saying, I wonder how this will end. (laughs) But he himself has already fought the devil and he fights for us every single day. And Paul writes earlier in Ephesians that God's purposes will succeed. One day, you and I, we will be holy and perfect. Our victory over sin is not dependent on us. It's dependent on Jesus, and that's good news. It means that no sin will ultimately defeat us and no victory is ours to claim. We're always pointing at Jesus and saying he is the one who has defeated sin, death, and Satan. So be encouraged. Weak soldiers don't have to win wars. Jesus is the victorious warrior who fights for us and gives us strength. Friends, the armor's already been worn and tested and it works. (laughs) One pastor said, in ourselves, we are fighting a battle we cannot win, but in Christ, we are fighting a battle we cannot lose. In Christ, we are fighting a battle we cannot lose. So that's what we have to remember first. But then as we remember our union with Jesus Christ, The Spirit enables us to put on the armor of Christ, to put on Christ, to put on our gospel clothes and to fight against sin and the devil out of a position of freedom and victory. What does this look like? Think about how you massage the truth into your minds. When we are overcome with guilt, Remember that there is no other name on heaven or on earth by which we can be saved. Maybe you've heard of Charity Lee Smith, who in 1863 wrote, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sins. That's truthing yourself with the gospel. What about righteousness? Think about when we're overly angry or overworking, 
Remember that we may have made an idol out of something that we said that this has to be my righteousness, that I have to achieve this. Remember that those things are not your righteousness. Augustus Toplady in 1763 wrote, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. That's putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Only Christ makes me acceptable before a holy God. Friends, the gospel frees us to fight as hard as we can. And friends, even when we fail, God still delights in us because of the truth that we have the righteousness of Christ. Righteousness has been imputed and then sanctification is where righteousness is imparted over time. And take heart, he who began a good work in you will complete it. Those whom he justifies, he sanctifies, and those whom he sanctifies, he will glorify. So friends, take heart on any given day, All of us in this room have to make decisions about how we're going to relate to one another, whether it's on TikTok or Twitter, whether it's in the classroom or in the boardroom, whether it's out in the community or it's within these church walls, whether it's in the office or out with clients, whether it's on the beltway or in the airplane, whether it's with our kids or with our parents, we all need to consider how do we want people to experience us and who am I called to be in Christ? Friends, we are engaged in a spiritual battle and there are churches all around us that are engaged in conflict. And friends, we need to put and to use our gospel armor this day. We need to put it on and to use our gospel clothes. We want a different story than so many of the ones that we hear around us. We want our gospel clothes to change us today and for eternity. In any situation, I pray that this church family, the Capitol Press family, would be known for our boldness and our humility so that when the dust settles, that others might say, those Christians are sinners saved by grace and they smelled like Jesus by the grace of God. Friends, we are loved like no other. So we are to live like no one else. Grace enables us to be steadfast, relentless, humble, gentle, resolute, compassionate, and joyful. I think it's not a stretch to think that Paul might say this to us today. Our greatest struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against COVID, not against one another, but against evil cosmic powers. And our fight is to love one another to make sacrifices, to show compassion 
and to forgive one another as Christ has loved us, as he has sacrificed for us, as he has shown compassions towards us, and as he has forgiven us. Let's put on our gospel clothes. Let's stand firm so that others might experience the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we take confidence in knowing that Jesus has already worn the armor, that he's already fought against the schemes of hell, and he's victorious. So Father, help us to live in light of this reality of knowing that you have defeated sin, death, and Satan, that you have indwelled us with your spirit, that you have given us your word, that you have given us your righteousness. So Father, help us to struggle, to stand firm, and to be like Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.